Hi everyone, welcome to Luxury Voices, the podcast about the luxury world in Asia with a focus on the greater China market. I am Joanne Tang, your host, founder and CEO of Infinite Luxury Group. In this podcast, we converse about all layers and segments of luxury, from lifestyle, travel, to hospitality trends. I will interview key players of the luxury industry from all corners of the globe. We will talk about their initiatives and experiences in conquering the Asian luxury consumer. Discover how leading luxury executives handle this growing market where luxury spending is the highest in the world and gain a wealth of knowledge to harness this ever-promising luxury market. With nearly 30 years dedicated to luxury hotels, Guy Berthaud has an international experience and an undeniable sense of service. Guy has held positions at Hotel Plaza Athenee, the Vendôme in Lebanon, Hotel de Paris in Monte Carlo, and also Intercontinental Hotel Group, Shangri-La Hotels and Resorts, before joining Maison Pariente as Group Managing Director based in Paris. Born from the desire to explore a bold new design of the hotel experience, Maison Pariente is a family-owned French luxury hotel collection. Run by Patrick Pariente and his two daughters, Patrick Pariente started in the fashion industry. He co-founded the Nuff brand with his brother in 1973. Twenty years later, after selling the brand, he shifted his focus to real estate, which later led to Maison Pariente. Maison Pariente offers a new kind of hospitality. Each of its hotels is designed as if it was a private home, and each property has its own unique identity. The collection is currently composed of three hotels. Hotel Crillon, Le Brave in Provence, Lupinette in Saint-Tropez, and Le Coucou in Meribel with another project underway, which is due to open in Le Marais area in Paris. It is a great pleasure having you on Luxury Voices, Guy. How have you been? Thank you, uh, Joanne. Uh, thank you for hosting me on Luxury Voices. Uh, it's a pleasure being with you uh, today, this morning for me and this afternoon for you. Excellent. Before we start the core of our conversation, what does the word luxury mean to you? Oh, that's a nice start of a question. <laughs> uh, luxury for me is very much about uh, intimacy. It's very much about privacy, but it's very much about also about a certain level of rarity. So uh, something that's not so obvious. I think there is a level of confidentiality in, in the world luxury. Thank you for sharing, Yi. Maison Pariant is still a young hotel group, though it grew the three properties in a very short time, and you have a fourth property coming up soon. Can you explain to us what the brand DNA is, its values, and how Maison Pariante is differentiating itself in this luxury segment? Yes, the the, uh, the values of uh, Maison Pariente is very much about um, uh, about the family values. 
that uh, the uh, the founder of Maison Pariente, Patrick Pariente, has been uh, developing himself throughout his uh, life, whether uh, in terms of uh, or leading a fashion, a fashion industry player or leading a real estate organization or leading now hotel, um, a, hotel a, a young hotel uh, collection. What he aims for is really to share the, those family values and he always aims for that. So it's all about hosting, pleasing, sharing, Uh, moments with people we host in a very um, in a very lavish environment in a calm and relaxed environment where you can find pieces of art and uh, the aestheticism of a brand new uh, design and as you your properties are so different from one and another can you share for our audience some highlights about your beautiful properties in Provence Saint-Tropez Maribel and Paris. Yeah, Joanne. Let me let me start maybe with uh, Saint-Tropez and I'll go uh, drive north <laughs> from Saint-Tropez. Great. We so, follow you on this journey. <laughs> <laughs> Saint-Tropez is located on the French Riviera. It's a hotel that's uh, in Saint-Tropez, but one kilometer and a half from the city center and one kilometer and a half from the beaches. So it offers this very lavish and calm environment in the hotel itself with a pool, a great, a great restaurant with a terrace, a bar and 34 rooms while being in the center of Saint-Tropez at the same time. As you drive north, you, you could go across Crillon-le-Brave, which is about two hours and a half from Saint-Tropez drive. And there you find a typical Provençal village where as you step in, you're blown away by the views on the Luberon on one side, which is right to the hotel, and on the Mont Ventoux, which is a very famous mountain, especially for those who love bicycles, because uh, the Mont Ventoux is actually one of the uh, one of the stops of the Tour de France, which is going on at the moment. And it's yes, going yes. to stop there on the 7th, the 8th, and the 9th of uh, July. So that's the second property. The third property, you still drive a, a little bit further uh, north, and you reach the French Alps. And there in the Trois-Vallées, which is uh, the largest ski resort in the world with uh, 600 kilometers of slopes, you have a hotel called Le Coucou which is located on the slopes, and it's the only five-star hotel located on the slopes in Meridel, where you do okay. you actually have ski in, ski out. So we have a ski room, 57 uh, rooms, suites, and chalets, with a pool, a spa, of course. We we also like, you know, this approach, of which is very environmental in our hotels. So both in Saint-Tropez and in Meribel, we're using products from a brand called Tata Harper, which is a U.S. brand, which is all environmentally friendly uh, in terms of uh, uh, beauty product and massage product for uh, for the spa. At the same time, in, uh, in Meribel, we have two chalets, which each one has its own pool, four bedrooms, a private living room. We have 24-hour butler in this place. So it's quite unique in terms of experience. And there again, when you drive further up, that's a little bit of a longer journey <laughs> between Meribel and Paris. It's about five, uh, five hours and a half or six hours. 
Um, we're opening a hotel, which is due to open in the middle of uh, 2022, which is a rehabilitation of uh, old uh, apartments and an older building in Paris, entirely redesigned, entirely refreshed, which will feature 62 rooms and suites, as well as, an, as a swimming pool in the middle of Le Marais, which is uh, the upcoming area of Paris, you know, with Very lots much. of pedestrian areas. And uh, I, I think it's a great place to walk, to experience, to have restaurants. I mean, I, I counted one day, uh, Joanne, that in our perimeter, there are about 230 restaurants, which wow. means in less than 500 meters circle, you have 230 restaurants. It's Too many choices. <laughs> A lot of choices, a lot of uh, uh, national choices, a lot of international choices. Um, so from uh, any, anywhere from the French Bistro to uh, Cantonese cuisine, for example. Wow, really. I'm sure a lot of travelers that will be staying with you will be very excited. We can almost envision this journey. Thank you for taking us on this trip, Yi. And now a bit about you. You have worked with some of the larger international hotel brands in the industry, such as the Intercontinental Hotel Group, Shangri-La Hotels and Resorts, and also smaller yet exclusive hotel collections, such as Hotel Plaza Athenee, Hotel de Paris in Monte Carlo, and now Maison Variant. How different is your experience managing a group of the scale and caliber of Maison Pariant? Well, I think it's very exciting, first of all, because it's all about development. So uh, I need to put it a little bit on a personal level, but I have been managing hotels from within operations, directly involved in hotel management, operationally speaking with team inside hotels. So that's the that's really a change for me. And it's a very exciting change because it's helping a young group of hotels grow, but also establish its reputation. So I'm using, in a way, the, the best of what I learned at Shangri-La, at Intercontinental, at the Plaza Athenee, at the Hotel de Paris, Monaco, in also many, many countries, uh, Joanne, where I've been working and I learned a lot. I mean, I, I, I really feel blessed sometimes to have been able to, uh, to live in so many countries where I, I truly learned a lot. I learned a lot about the people. I learned a lot about the habits that it's something that I am so happy and grateful to, uh, to implement now at Maison Pariante. So Maison Pariante is a very exciting approach to me to, uh, of hospitality because of that. And at the same time, because the size of the hotels are probably smaller and very much into my own DNA, which is to provide extremely personalized service. And I, I really, I, I would say that the important word is extreme there. You know, it's really to go just beyond what other larger groups do. And they do it very well. Don't take me wrong. They just mm -hmm. do it well. But when you have 34 rooms and let's say anywhere between 70 and 80 guests in a hotel, you know each and every one of your guests by name, by heart, by what they like, they dislike. And on daily basis, each minute, every member of our staff 
knows each and every guest in this way. That's great. Yes, you are a true passionate hotel yegi. And it seems like you can really utilize all your experiences and expertise into this venture. Just over a year ago, you started your managing position of Maison Pariente in the midst of the pandemic. It must have been a roller coaster ride the last 12 months. <laughs> Can you tell us what was the situation when you started, Guy? Well, uh, <laughs> I must tell you, uh, Joanne, that's a day I will never remember. I will never forget. Sorry. Because, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, I started my new job on the 16th of March 2020, which is ah, actually the first, the first day when everything was locked down in France. So, yes, uh, I remember you, that day because I was actually in France <laughs> and I was due to fly out back to China. And then I think uh, the president, uh, President Macron, announced that uh, they will close the airspace. Exactly. So I needed to be quick. <laughs> uh, it was. So hopefully you could uh, fly back to China, though. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so it was so funny because I arrived in this office, you know, and when you start a new job, uh, it's a little bit of a journey. You want to learn. You need to learn the people. There's a little bit of stress. And I arrived there and, and suddenly everybody was telling me, we need to close our hotels now, now, now. <laughs> I say, I didn't start. I don't know where are the hotels. <laughs> where are the keys? Where are the keys? So anyway, it was uh, the first uh, few days were very much about that. It was uh, the urgency of closing hotels. We didn't know much what happened, you know, so there was a, there was a real level of tension in the uh, in everybody's mind i think yeah. so it was closing hotels and and once hotels were closed the biggest the biggest biggest challenge of the first lockdown and we had three in total in, in france was the the retention of staff i think that has been the first challenge really because it's you know closing a hotel is pretty i mean in a way it's pretty easy you just decide to close you say everybody stays home And mm. you try to uh, sort out solutions with uh, whatever stock you have in your hotel, but it's pretty easy. Retaining the staff is a very, very difficult. It's very difficult. Mm. And I think that has been my first, my really my first ambition, I should say, was to meet the people as quickly as I could, go to the uh, to the various locations that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. and individuals as many as I could to try to retain them because my first worry was to say they are going to leave we're going to reopen we don't know when but mm -hmm. we won't have staff anymore and that mm -hmm. would have been a disaster of course so the first lockdown uh, lasted until the, um, <clears throat> the end of uh, June I think if I'm not mistaken we reopened our properties in July in July 2020, and l lucky enough, I mean, a number of our staff uh, stayed with us. They continue to work with us. Uh, of course, they benefited of, uh, you know, the social benefits that uh, that um, uh, workers have in France. But at the same time, I think it's, I'm, I'm very grateful that they did stay with us, really, because it has been a very difficult period, especially for the morale. 
you know, not not because of business. Of course, when my aim was to bring better ROI or to bring ROI to the hotels, needless to say that when hotels are closed, you are not talking about ROI anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Talking about uh, making the better of what you can to uh, limit losses. And at the same time, do the best you can to uh, to make sure the hotels could reopen in the best possible condition. Yes, that is really testing leaders and as well uh, teamwork. Looking back over that period, what would you say were the milestones achieved? You mentioned morale, limited uh, losses, and of course, the best way of uh, reopening. Would those be the milestones that you think? were achieved during those pandemic times? Well, I think the, the the main milestone that has been achieved, a part of those three points you mentioned, uh, Joanne, is really, and I would probably add the staff also, the retention, because uh, we have to keep in mind that, you know, in hospitality, in the world of hospitality, and especially in the luxury segment, staff is absolutely paramount to, yes. the, to the working of a hotel. I mean, you... you Usually, uh, it's said that uh, there are anywhere between two and five, uh, depending on the country, but two and five employees per room available in a hotel. So if you don't have staff, you just can't run your business. Anyway, that's one thing I want you to add. The, uh, the other milestone is really to create, as much as we could do it, a very safe environment for our guests. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, we learned a lot, all of us. And I say we because I, I, I need to uh, to say my team here worked a lot on finding solutions, the best ways to ensure that the message that would go out once hotel could reopen is were a safe environment. We, not only we provide the face mask and mm-hmm. the gel. And gel. But it's just to make sure that the cleanliness of the room is made in such a way that we created new protocols. We bought uh, new equipment such as uh, vacuum cleaners for the the rooms. We don't use any chemicals anymore. We hardly use any uh, fabric anymore in the rooms to clean. We really use pure uh, vacuum, which is which is something that's new in hotels. You know, we didn't know that before. Mm. Um, so that was that was achieved during the first lockdown. During the second lockdown, we went a, st- a step further, saying we need to really focus more on the guest engagement. Mm. So we tried to find any kind of technology that would help us avoid having to use too much time on administration. You know, check-in, check-out process in a hotel takes anywhere, if you take two together, anywhere between 10 minutes and 30 minutes, depending mm-hmm. on the hotel. If you consider that you take only 10 minutes, which is which is already quite good, you convert those 10 minutes, rather than doing a, an administrative check-in where you give your credit card, fill in a paper, sign the paper, and blah, 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 which mm-hmm. is... Engagement with the guest, you escort the guest during those 10 minutes to the room, take a tablet, get the guest to sign on the tablet, and do mm-hmm. all the pre-registration uh, before the guest arrives. Yes. That's one of the solutions that we have implemented in our hotels. 
And, and to tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to give you one insight on that in Paris. But for example, we're looking at almost canceling the reservation, the reception desk. In oh, Paris wow. Because yes. we think that the most important is to host the guest at the door and to escort the guest to its room. If the guest wants to sit in a salon, we'll have a, a living room where the guest will be able to sit down and have an interaction with the concierge, with the member of staff, or with simply with uh, his or her family. I think that's what we aim for. You know, it's just say, look, check in, check out. Let's cancel that. Let's use this time to engage with our guests. When it comes to ordering food in a restaurant, rather than having a head waiter there uh, uh, standing in front of you with a notepad and trying to take the order, just forget about that. Try to find a way where guests can order without that hustle of it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, have a sommelier who is going to serve wine or wine waiter, if you want, who is going to be extremely uh, strong in telling stories in having the right attitude to really engage the guest. And I would say almost to, to pull the guest towards the story of wine. So uh, I think this is the second milestone or the second lockdown, one of the milestones that we achieved during the second one. Yes, engaging guests, uh, no hassle, sounds like pure luxury or actually welcoming a guest uh, to your yes. home. Yes. And uh, where there are a lot of occasions where you had to pivot to adapt to the ever-involving pandemic situation. Like, for example, you were saying during second lockdown, you reviewed the check-in and check-out procedure. Were there any other areas that you reviewed while the pandemic keep on changing the situation? There are many other areas uh, that were reviewed. I mean, and, and, and I must say it's very much linked to the, uh, the health and safety situation. For example, you know that you, you, we would avoid people crossing each other in, uh, for example, in Lupinay and in, um, and in Crillon-le-Brave, where we have a pretty large uh, outdoor space. We created literally journeys within the hotel where guests would walk through and discover new uh, uh, plants, have the smell or the scent of uh, of jasmine, for example, in one area. Actually, in, uh, in Saint-Tropez, we planted a lot of jasmine. So we just created an environment, I mean, I'm talking about landscape, which mm -hmm. really was made for people not to cross each other. So there was a, journey, wow. a kind of one-way road within the property to people, and there is still actually people love that. We we did this with the intention of being safe and create a, an environment that's proper within the law of the the pandemic. But actually, yes. guests love it so much that we're going to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Wow! Fantastic. With France reopening its hotels and restaurants right now. With summer now here, it must be a very exciting time. Are all properties ready to welcome guests? Yes, I must say uh, yes. In general, I'm happy to talk about Maison Variante. And of course, we're absolutely ready. 
we got ready already, uh, as I mentioned before, during the first uh, lockdown and the second lockdown. And earlier this year, we really uh, changed entirely our protocols to make them extremely uh, uh, and to make guests feel extremely safe again when they come to the room. This uh, vacuum cleaning situation is something that will apply throughout the properties, not only in the rooms now, but also in the public areas. You know, when you clean with vacuum, that's uh, 120 degrees. It's dry vacuum, actually. It just kills any kind of bacteria that could remain there. So I think it's a great way. A part of that, what I can say is that the landscape that we have in our hotels help us also a little bit because we have a lot of outdoors so which allowed us actually to reopen in uh, in may unlike other hotels which had to wait until uh, the 9th of june because they didn't have outdoor so we are absolutely ready and just to go a little bit broader than maison pariante most hotels in france are ready those who are not ready decided by themselves to uh, keep the hotels closed and to reopen a little later. It's the case of of one or two properties in Saint-Tropez, which which are going to open at the uh, the beginning of July. There are two or three properties in Paris, which are the same, but more or less everybody is ready for that. Excellent. You spoke about uh, safety measures. Do you think that these measures are here to stay as a permanent standard? like your landscape jasmine garden yeah, i really think so because it's about pleasure you know it's about it's not only about safety and, and this pandemic situation which i think a lot of people want to forget <laughs> to be honest i'm in sure the sense in the sense that they have been so much affected or at least by morale so much affected by the pandemic that they want to forget but At the end of the day, you know, vacuum cleaning is better for the environment. It's better for the guests. It's less chemical. I think it's a great thing. Having a nice landscape where people can walk and experience a garden with uh, plants they are not used to, with scents they are not used to uh, get in their own environment at home or whenever they travel is something nice. So I think all this should stay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Great. With so much uncertainty in the previous month, can you share with us how is the business outlook for this summer and the second half of 2021 in overall? Well, I'm happy to answer this question. As you can (laughs) see from my face, I start smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please tell us. (laughs) Uh, It speaks for itself. No, actually, the, uh, the summer, the outlook for the summer is very good. We, our properties are going to, to be running in the mid 80s at the beginning of, until the beginning of July, going up to the mid 90s as of the 14th of July, which is French National Day which is typically a, a time where people start traveling a little bit more and until the end of, the, of August. But actually, the, the great thing are, are two aspects. The, the first one is we get much more European customers than we got last year. So when we opened for two months last year in the summer, we had a lot of French, which is great, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we had a limited number of European visitors. This mm-hmm. year, we had a lot of European visitors. 
The second thing, which is really new, is that we, st- we start seeing at the end of the summer, especially in September, a lot of visitors from outside Europe having booked wow. within wow. our cities from Asia, from the US, from uh, Russia, but mostly from uh, from Asia and from the US. And it's a great thing because it's it's something that's new. You know, it didn't happen for the past almost two years now. Mm, so, uh, yes. so happy, so happy with that. And as I said, the outlook is, is actually very good for the summer. I'm happy uh, to hear this for you, Guy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you see the same volume of demand across all your destinations? At the moment, Saint-Tropez and, and the Provence is very high up on the map. And on the list of destinations that uh, that uh, visitors want to go to. And the second, the second point probably behind that is that the Provence, the region as such, is very well known for the French Riviera. But what happens behind the French Riviera, very few people know it, even in France, I can tell you. I mean, there were very, very few French people who knew uh, the Luberon and the Mont Ventoux where where Crillon-le-Brave is located. Last year, we had a number of French visitors who came and who were absolutely blown away by the landscape, by the beauty of the place, and who discovered simply this region. So it's very funny because uh, if you take Crillon-le-Brave and the region of Avignon, it has been permanently visited by people from uh, the Benelux, uh, by people and visitors from uh, Switzerland, for example, which is pretty close. But for whatever reason, French visitors didn't go there that much. Anyway, going back to your question, yeah, the demand is a bit stronger for Provence at the moment. Mind you, uh, the French Alps are almost closed at the moment because it's summertime. It's a very prominent destination in the winter. Uh, Meribel is not as known as Courchevel in the Trois-Bay, yes. which is yes. the, uh, the ski resort where, where Meribel is located. But we are building reputation and strong reputation now. There are lots of uh, uh, residences that are being built at the moment in, in Meribel. And it's, it's definitely going to be one of the destinations that people are going to talk about because you have the access to the Trois-Vallée. It's less crowded than Courchevel, for example, uh, mm-hmm. but you have exactly the same ski resort. And the height in terms of mountain, if we compare, for example, where we have our property that we own called L'Apogée in Courchevel, which is uh, 1,850 meters high in the mountains, our property in Meribel is 1,900 meters high. So it's almost equivalent, you know, between the two. Therefore, the destination Meribel should become very, very popular in the coming uh, years, I would say. Yeah, it's very funny that we're all discovering our own country. We are traveling uh, domestically, right? It's true. Did you do the same? Yes, yes. Uh, You know, I'm based in Shanghai in China. And uh, when we have a long break, we always go overseas. We're in the region or far, far away seldom stay within China and of course this year uh, we're only allowed to do domestic travel and we've been uh, to many different provinces and they are just stunning so I fully understand what you're saying 
discover this myself then. Next time I'm going to China, I'll travel within China, not stay in a city. <laughs> That's right. You do your business in Shanghai, Beijing, Chengdu, and then you go for a week out in uh, in all those uh, different provinces. Exactly. And uh, I agree with you, Maribel, uh, definitely is worthwhile to be highlighted. It's a beautiful place. I fully agree, having been there. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Hope we can host you one of those days. Looking forward to it. France has been always a favorable destination for the Asian travelers. We can foresee that these travelers will be interested in less crowded places with space like where your properties are located. As we move towards a path of recovery, how important do you think the Asian markets will be for your hotels, Guy? Yeah, I mean, the answer is pretty straight. It's the number one market for for France. So uh, uh, for our hotels, I, I, would, I would consider that it's going to be number one market uh, pretty soon and when everything will be up and running, and especially in Paris, of course, as, uh, as the first property, that visitors will be, uh, will be enjoying this property as much as the others that we have. But Asia is definitely number one in terms of uh, in terms of market i think there has been a, a very you know a very impressive for me a very very impressive change in the asian markets in general and i should say probably even more in the chinese market traveling to france which is the the speed or the pace at which it acquired a level of maturity let me explain a little bit in a, a few years back, there were a number, and and so, and when I say a few years back, I'm talking two, three years back. There were quite a lot of of Asians traveling to uh, to France, especially mm-hmm. Paris. But they were all new travelers. They did not experience traveling that much. We could see that they they were a little bit uncomfortable, you know, in mm-hmm. some places, which is mm-hmm. because it's a cultural change, you know, to come here and discover things and and reach the type of food we have here, which is not necessarily to the taste of everyone. In a few years' time, visitors had been traveling many times to Europe and to France in particular, but mm-hmm. especially the younger generation is coming very, very much and very strongly, even more than their parents' generation, so to say. So we have seen in the past two years, people in the age and visitors from Asia in the age of mid-30s traveling, so young couples sometimes, sometimes with children, sometimes without children, traveling to France and discovering, having, having this real maturity, as I, would, as I was saying before, of being of being open to different tastes, being open to different landscapes, being open to many other things that I think really attracts. I would guess that French people adapted a little bit also. You know, we mm-hmm. probably uh, mm-hmm. were not as adaptive a few years back. But it's a great thing, and I think this younger generation in Asia is mm-hmm. leading the way now to international traveling uh, and Asian traveling to uh, to France, whether Paris or anywhere else. Yes, uh, so we as well witnessed the changing and uh, development 
of the Asian and uh, China market? Yes, very much so. Very much so. I mean, you know, when I was working with Shangri-La, visitors to the hotel, it's a pure leisure property in Paris. It's a great property. It's one of the Paris palaces. It's a, it's a stunning property. Visitors, though, when I when I joined Shangri-La, visitors from uh, Asia were not the majority of visitors. They were probably second in 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 ranking of nationalities after the um, after the situation of 2018 when we had all the gilets jaunes and all this in in paris they became the first nationality but way ahead of the rest of the visitors whoever they were and where they were coming from so that's the trend. Of course, it's the trend in a hotel, but it's the trend that has been observed a little bit everywhere in in Paris, with uh, China being uh, being number one from far. Yes, uh, China has definitely uh, evolved in the past few years. Just a few years, as you mentioned, from uh, groups travel to individual travel, from many destinations within one trip to one destination for a longer time from staying only in big international hotels to the unique uh, luxury uh, independent hotels, from only shopping only to uh, now really uh, as well looking for unique experiences when they travel. Uh, And I fully agree with you. The market has changed completely just over a few years. Talking about the Chinese traveler, the ultra luxury Chinese traveler has already trotted around the globe. Now they tend to look for unique places, especially when it comes to choosing a destination and a place to stay. Maison Variant seemed to be a perfect match for this clientele. As Chinese affluent traveler is set to become the largest market in the world, are you eyeing to develop this market? Absolutely, uh, uh, Joanne. That's very, uh, very true. Uh, we're, we're definitely looking at at uh, developing this market. We're looking also at sometimes adapting a little bit our product offering inside the hotels to the Chinese market. But for example, at this stage, we're already developed with our uh, TV vendor a system, which is uh, translated in, um, in Mandarin, for example. And that's only an example, but it's very important, you know, in smaller top luxury hotels like those we have, to make sure we adapt and, and we, uh, because international chains are very good at that. They say, okay, we're our top three, four, five nationalities. Let's have all the languages written and all this. Smaller properties, to be very honest, are not as good at the, as that adapting. So what we're looking at, and I'm looking at my background also of hotel chains, you know, I know what's, mm. what's important, but it's adapting to a, a number of, uh, of things, especially linked to the language. So, for example, in Saint-Tropez, by the way, we just hired an intern for the summer who is currently studying in, um, in Switzerland, and uh, she's from China. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's done on purpose. I mean, it's really done on purpose to make sure we uh, we can get some idea of what we need to do in the hotels to better adapt to uh, Chinese visitors. Yes, since you know uh, our market so well, 
uh, Guy, and you have been to China various times, I'm sure you will make it all happen <laughs> and making the properties very suitable for the Asian and Chinese travelers. And actually, the Chinese traveler are not looking that the whole hotel will be uh, fully suited uh, to their needs. But of course, here and there, uh, you know, welcome note written in Chinese or as you said, a TV channel or a Chinese speaking team member saying hello. Uh, just being uh, recognized, I think they already very much appreciate this. Yeah, that's what we need to do. I think uh, it's, as you said, it's the welcoming is a very important part. I think there are also some important things in terms of amenities. I don't know what you uh, what you think about that. I, I would love to have your idea, uh, Joanne. But, you know, welcoming a guest in the room with uh, probably uh, a warm a warm tea is something that's quite nice and can make a little bit of the difference. Yes, you're fully right. I don't have to tell you anything. Just a, a good cup of Chinese tea. That's already <laughs> the best uh, welcome amenity. But we can have a separate uh, conversation about Great this. <laughs> Four properties so far, all in very iconic French destinations. Saint-Tropez in the French Riviera and in Provence, Meribel, in the heart of the Trois-Vallées, in the Alps of, uh, Mountains and central Paris very soon. Is Maison Pariente purposely focused on the most iconic French destinations? Yes. I will definitely say yes. Iconic destinations, yes. At the same time, with some level of confidentiality uh, in terms of within the, the destination. As I mentioned to you earlier on Saint-Tropez, we're located one kilometer and a half both sides from the beaches and the, um, and the city center. The hotel is really, it's a little heaven, you know, uh, in Saint-Tropez. And this is what we're looking for. Uh, wherever we're going to develop our next hotel or next hotels, uh, we're going to go with uh, the idea of being in a very prominent destination, such as Paris, such as Saint-Tropez, or such as the uh, Provence. But at the same time, within the destination, in a location that keeps our guests very serene, relaxed, you know, we don't want the hustle and bustle of a city where it never stops. We want to be in that city, but we don't want the guests to feel this within the hotel. And is there a big desire to grow the collection? What is the ideal property number for Maison Parian? Well, it's always very difficult to say about the ideal, uh, uh, Joanne, because uh, uh, it's more a question of opportunities uh, so far that led to our development. But I would say, I would say though that if we were to have about ten properties, it would be probably the maximum. More than that, we would struggle to uh, personalize to the extreme, as I said before. You know, that's really our aim. And the DNA of Mesobariant is being hosted like if you were at home. So going back there, there is a certain number of hotels where you can do it. Uh, once you reach a size that's too large, you then dilute the level uh, or the impact of the DNA. 
if you want. And that's not what we want to do. We want to keep it focused and make sure our guests get exactly the same level of attention. And I'm purposely not talking about service. I'm talking about attention than uh, what they uh, what they they would get in other properties. So I would say 10 is really the maximum. 10 homes far away from home sounds good to me. <laughs> As you are reopening your properties, your team members in each property must be both excited and anxious to welcome back guests. As the managing director of the group, how do you prepare and motivate your close team and the one on property for this restart? There are two ways, Joanne, to motivate for me. The first way is to, to involve myself and to be close to them. So uh, I'm close to them. And as you kindly said earlier, I'm very passionate about my job. I've been working in this industry for 32 years. And honestly, that's a job, that's, that's a life I love. <laughs> and I say it's a life because it's really a life uh, that I've been spending in those uh, hotels. And I share this with my team. So they, they engage, you know, they like to have this type of leadership, which tells them, look, join me. We're going to succeed together, basically. And then the second point is we're really emphasizing with the team on the differences of Maison Pariante, the DNA of Maison Pariante, the style of our hotels. Design is absolutely key in our hotels, interior design, but also art is key. So there are some people who don't like this. Let's let's mm -hmm. speak honestly. You know, we 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 have to be honest and admit those who don't like this, they probably never mm -hmm. work with us. Yes, honestly. But those who like it, I'm just going to emphasize on that, and they love that. And they love to share those stories with our guests as well, you know, to explain what's the difference in the design, to explain where the art is coming from. And that's the entire part of, uh, of the success to me uh, when it comes to people. It's all about engagement, engaging with the team and sharing. Sharing a level you, of passion, sharing topics, and so on. Thank you for sharing. Pleasure. <laughs> you have lived in different countries, experienced different cultures in the hospitality world. We work with and serve multiple cultures and nationalities, which is one fun part of our industry. France being the most visited country in the world, Maison Parian must welcome guests from all horizons, making cross-culture awareness more important than ever. How do you prepare your team to be aware of the various cultural nuances and make your guests feel at home, Guy? The, uh, the only way is really training, training, training. John, I, I am a firm believer of training. The value of training, though, is very much about who trains. And, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm even using sometimes intern. I'm saying using, it's not a very nice word in English, but, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm trying to get our interns to coach our team on cross-cultural differences. And, and I was telling you about a, a Chinese intern, uh, recently. Mm -hmm. 
we have the same from other countries. We have people coming even from Northern Europe, for example, at the moment in our properties, we have people coming from Central Europe. So it's this mixing of nationalities within the property, which is the first step into mm -hmm. training for me. But training is permanent. And so I'm using this various nationalities to say, look, try to coach, try to teach, try to help others based on your own culture and what you like, what you dislike. And then the other thing is very purely practical training with external trainers uh, or facilitators who have this experience. I mean, I'll give you an example. Recently, I have been, um, I have been asking a very nice uh, gentleman who used to be the, the chief HR officer of a very, of a major uh, hotel chain. I'm not sure I can uh, tell who it is, but anyway, it's a major hotel chain in the luxury segment. And he has been, he has been doing some internal training on cross-cultural awareness. So it's typically the type of profile that I'm also looking for to help and to coach our teams on cross-cultural awareness. And I, I don't see any other solution really, truthfully. You know, the value of training is very much about the value of people who are training. And I think it's a little bit at, similarly at school, you know, when you're going to a university, You can have two universities sitting next to each other, but if the teachers are very good in one university, then the courses and what you get out of it is probably a little bit better. And I, I very much believe in that when it comes to cross-cultural awareness. So training is the key and how interesting experienced team members train the interns about their experience and expertise and the interns coach the existing team members about their culture. Exactly. Sharing exactly. knowledge. You know, they don't have the training techniques, but they know what they like and they dislike. Of they course. know what their moms were doing in their country. They know what their family members, their friends experience. It's sufficient. That's pure training as long as you share the insights. Post-COVID, it seems that the luxury traveler is seeking more space, privacy, as opposed to larger-scale hotels. Luxury villas are more popular than ever. Travelers yes. are looking for luxury homes or maisons, in your case. It seems that Maison Pariente is the right product and concept at the right time. Mm -hmm. Do you see this trend as well? And what's your take on this, Guy? Yes, very much. Uh, th that's absolutely the trend, Joanne. You're absolutely right. It's actually quite impressive to see in the south of France, in general, the number of private houses that are being rented and uh, too many international visitors. This said, the specification of our own hotels, all the three properties have this differentiation aspect, which is having private houses. So if it, if it comes to uh, uh, Saint-Tropez, we're having uh, four houses, which each house has anywhere between eight and nine rooms. Mm -hmm. And there are individual houses which are separate one from another. In Crillon-le-Brave, we have nine houses, 
Each of those houses has anywhere between two and nine rooms. And in Meribel, we have a building, which is a hotel. So for those who want to have a hotel with all the experience of a hotel in a building where we have 52, uh, 52 rooms, and then we have separate chalets, which are standalone, but connected with a bridge to the hotel. So if you want to experience the hotel, you just cross a bridge, which is indoor, to go to your restaurant or to the hotel restaurant. But if you want to stay in your chalet and enjoy your own pool, swimming pool, and have your own dinner served by a butler in the chalet, it can also happen. So this is definitely what guests are looking for now. We, we see a lot of, of that trend coming up. And I can tell you a story of last winter. In Meribel, mm -hmm. we decided because of the pandemic not to open our hotel in, in Meribel. Yeah. We had two guests, two private guests, who asked stealers who actually insisted to, uh, to rent our chalets. Yes. And we did rent our chalets. Wow. As if the hotel were open, simply because it was very much in the, in the eye of people, you know, willing to be uh, on their own, not willing yeah. to many people. And that's the trend, definitely. Yes, I think uh, that place must have been the most perfect COVID-19 uh, hideaway. <laughs> exactly, especially for yes. New Year's Eve, you know, you could yes. still wow. celebrate New Year's Eve without the fear of what was happening around. Like a dream come true. Uh, yes, so uh, Maison Pariente is uh, the perfect concept for post-COVID travelers. It is. I truly believe so. Before ending our conversation, I would like to ask you a few more personal questions, Guy. You can answer quickly or you can elaborate as much as you like. Are you ready? Oh, I am <laughs> ready, Joanne. When all borders reopen, where is your next travel destination, Guy? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tricky question. You know, I, I, I would say my next it was the one that was on the top of my list. I'm not sure it's going to be my next, though. But yes. uh, I would love to travel to Bhutan. Ah, wow. Uh, so it's the country that's on the top of my list because uh, I, I love landscape. I love hiking. And at yeah, the same yeah. time, I like the philosophy of this country. So yeah, I want yeah. to see it and experience it by myself. Yes. Yeah, Bhutan is definitely a beautiful destination uh, in terms of, you know, as you said, scenery, people, culture, the, the philosophy uh, itself. And uh, funny enough, I'm not sure if it's because of COVID or people were already thinking about this destination before COVID, but it is on people's top uh, bucket list. So Bhutan might be quite busy. <laughs> well, it's anyway, it has been on mine for a number of years and it remained after COVID on, still on my list. Look, I'm going to go there one day. Let's see when. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Can you share with our audience what is your favorite travel or luxury app on your phone and why? Give us wow. some tips, Guy. Wow, that's <laughs> another question. That's very difficult to answer. I mean, I, you know, I have been, I have been working many years with a, an organization that was doing quality evaluation, which is yes. called Forbes, which is Forbes Travel Guide. Yes. So 
I must say, not only because I was evaluated, but also <laughs> I recognize the quality of their job, and mm-hmm. I, I tend to trust Forbes Travel Travel Guides. Oh, great! Forbes Travel Guides app. Thank you. And last question: What is the one thing that you are thankful to have learned in the last 12 months, Guy? There are so many things I learned uh, in the last 12 months, but I think, you know, I, I thought I learned a lot about humidity. Mm-hmm. And I think I didn't learn anything. In the past 12 months, I found out that I had a lot more to learn on that. Mm-hmm. Because as many, many hoteliers, you know, you always want things here and now, and you don't <laughs> uh, care uh, probably enough. I really learned a lot about humidity. I think there are very important things in life, and those things are not necessarily those that you see on your day-to-day basis at work. Great. Thank you for sharing. Guy, it was a true pleasure speaking with you today, and thank you for being one of our luxury voices. Thank you very much, and thank you for hosting me again. And uh, hope to see you soon in China, one of those days, as soon as the border reopens. That's going to be one of my destinations, too. (laughs) Excellent. I look forward to welcoming you here. Thank you very much, Joan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxury Voices. If you have enjoyed it and found this episode useful, please share it with your network, like it, rate it, and help us spread our voices. You can find information about today's voice and the podcast content in the podcast notes. Luxury Voices is a podcast created by Infinite Luxury Group, a luxury sales, marketing, communication specialist based in Asia. Please tune in for the next episode. Bye for now.